shall land. Do not betray us. Our privacy must be maintained. Total destruction to anyone who invades it. I'm Captain Kirk. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present the winners of the 74th Annual Hunger Games. We want a man in black. I'm the doctor, by the way. What's your name? Rose. Nice to meet you, Rose. Run for your life. My name is Optimus Prime. I am the Futus of Borg. Resistance is futile. Strict flows from the force, but beware of the dark side. Oh. Oh. Iron Man, that's kind of catchy. It's got a nice ring to it. I mean, it's not technically accurate. This is a gold titanium alloy. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. This is a reach call. Hello, everybody. This is Mark Daniels from the Great Pacific Northwest, and you are listening to Treks in Sci-Fi. This is episode 507 for Sunday, October 5th, 2014. Today, I'm going to take a look at a classic episode from The Outer Limits. The episode that I'm going to cover is one of my favorites. It's the Xanti Misfits. This episode gave me nightmares when I was a kid. I know Rico and those of us of a certain age will remember this episode, and I'm sure this episode gave them the creeps as well. Before I get into this week's podcast, I'd like to thank Rico for giving me another opportunity to share with all of you some more classic science fiction. I'd also like to thank all of you who took the time to listen to me today. I hope you enjoy it. Every episode of The Outer Limits starts with a control voice. I'll be back after the control voice with some information about the series and this episode. There is nothing wrong with your television set. Do not attempt to adjust the picture. We are controlling transmission. We will control the horizontal. We will control the vertical. We can change the focus to a soft blur or sharpen it to crystal clarity. For the next hour, sit quietly and we will control all that you see and hear. You are about to participate in a great adventure. You are about to experience the awe and mystery which reaches from the inner mind to the Outer Limits. The Outer Limits is a science fiction anthology show that ran for two seasons on ABC. The show ran from September 16, 1963 to January 16, 1965. There were 49 episodes produced. The Outer Limits has been often compared to The Twilight Zone, but I think The Outer Limits deals more with science fiction, where The Outer Limits deals with um, fantasy, uh, bizarre happenings, and just strange things. 
The Xanti Misfits is episode 14 of the first season. It was first broadcast December 30th, 1963. It was directed by Leonard Horn. The screenplay was written by Joseph Stefano. And a little trivia on Joseph Stefano, he wrote a screenplay to a movie called Psycho. And he was also the series producer for the first season. The Xanti Misfits stars Michael Tolan, Olive Deering, Robert S. Simon, Claude Woolman, and Bruce Dern. Every episode of The Outer Limits has an opening narration that gives you a little backstory about the episode. Throughout history, compassionate minds have pondered this dark and disturbing question. What is society to do with those members who are a threat to society? Those malcontents and misfits whose behavior undermines and destroys the foundations of civilization. Different ages have found different answers. Misfits have been burned, branded, and banished. Today, on this planet Earth, the criminal is incarcerated in humane institutions, or he is executed. Other planets use other methods. This is the story of how the perfectionist rulers of the planet Xanti attempted to solve the problem of the Xanti misfits. This episode starts in a ghost town called Morgue in the desert of California. The Air Force has surrounded the area around Morgue with armed troops. Major Hill and Professor Stephen Grave arrive at the command post in Morgue, where they will monitor the landing of a penal ship from the planet Xanti. History has been recorded in some pretty morbid places, Major. But when a historian named Grave finds himself in a ghost town called Morgue... You see? I thought I did. Probably just a silver desert bird. You don't think they'll land in broad daylight, do you? Why not? They have no reason to be afraid of us. I wish we could feel the same about them. Ordinarily, I don't ask you space people such questions, Major. But I wonder why we're allowing this to happen. We weren't given any choice, Professor. We were told when the penal ship would land. We were instructed to keep out of its way. No interference or else. Or else what? Did they say? They assured us they didn't want to attack. They wanted this to be a non-hostile sequence, as they put it. But they didn't hesitate to let us understand that they would attack totally and devastatingly. I wonder what they're like. From our viewpoint, Professor, they're either superhuman or subhuman. Or non-human. General Hart is in charge at the command post. He is a friend of Professor Graves' father. General Hart then introduces Professor Graves to a staff and gives him a tour of the facility. Stephen! <laughs> You're 24 hours late! I know. I would have been here two days ago. I was all briefed and ready to leave Washington when uh, some five-star personality decided maybe this invasion ought to be covered by a commissioned officer. Uh. I thought the commissioned officers make history. Must the young professors record it. You're a new kind of war correspondent, aren't you, Steve? Um, space age style. Thanks. Ah, I don't want 
desk. Come on, I'll show you your desk. Okay. And this is the new style of battlefield here. It's all automated. Not quite as messy as the old style, but uh, of course, computers don't bleed. The radar section here. Have you had contact with the Xantes yet? Not yet, but we know they're in our atmosphere. Gentlemen, have your attention, please. I want you to take a look at Professor Stephen Gray, this country's official historian of interplanetary events. Did I get that title right? Uh, which means that he will be observing everything and everyone, asking all sorts of non-technical questions, writing down everything that he sees and hears and thinks. The space agency picked him, SAC okayed him, Congress ratified him, uh, taxpayers pay him, and I like him. So if he gets into your hair, try not to brush him out. That's all, thanks. Welcome to the sweat box. Thanks. Over here. Major Hill is really uncomfortable about letting a penal ship from another planet land on Earth. Try this on for size here. Same old machine. Well, you're a sentimentalist, Steve. I thought you were going to be a carbon copy of your father. My father was a much more devout sentimentalist than I'll ever be. What do you think made him such a great war correspondent? But even he found it pretty difficult to be sentimental about war when your enemy can come out of the sky looking like something out of a nightmare. Now, wait a minute, Steve. As far as we know, the inhabitants of the planet Xanti are not our enemy. They're not our friends. According to the history I've studied, friends don't coerce one another. You read the transcripts of the Xanti government's first contact with us. Would you call it coercion? Yes. The kind that makes me want to grab a rifle and fight for my country. Grabbing a rifle is a thing of the past, Steve. War with another planet? That's a different brand of war altogether. The psychiatric committee analyzed those transcriptions, Steve. According to their findings, the Xantes are a discipline-oriented society. They're perfectionists. Apparently, they're just as unwilling to start a total war with us as we are with them. Even though they know they'd win. You really believe that all they want us to do is let them use our planet as a place of exile for their criminals and misfits? That's what they said. And you believe them? Well, they claim to be incapable of executing their own species. Now, if you can't destroy a criminal, Steve, you've got to stash him away someplace where he can't do you any harm. But why on some other planet? We have prisons and institutions, even islands. We don't send them off to another world. No, we don't, Major. But then we haven't perfected interplanetary travel yet, have we? Professor Grave wants to know exactly how General Hart plans to keep the Xanti prisoners in the restricted area. This is us, Morgue, California. Any danger of tourists bouncing in? Morgue never has been a tourist spot. Anyway, here, 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 and here are patrol spots. Making a complete circle, a periphery, surrounding the area in which we're allowing the Xantes to come down in. Sentries are armed. They have orders to kill. That means that we're determined to keep strays from stumbling into the Xanti area, accidentally or otherwise. It also means that we're determined to keep the Xantes inside this circle. Suppose they decide not to land where we've uh, offered to let them land. 
missile base. Here. If that penal ship is more than 10 degrees off target, we destroy it. We're also equipped to destroy it after it's landed if necessary. The Xantes are now in our atmosphere and they are ready to land. This is first regent of penal ship one. Are ready to land in designated area. We have reason to suspect your good faith. Landing area surrounded. Weapons threateningly angled. We have no other way of keeping the area open for you. Our roads and deserts are generally open to all men. The sentries are there only to guarantee your privacy. They've lent so our Landstri of Trinzini. Landstrinzini Lobosan among this landscape. Total destruction to anyone who invades it. Don't worry. If anyone is anywhere near that ship when it lands, it'll be over somebody's dead body. Just as the Xanti penal ship is landing, Ben Garth, a three-time loser, and his girlfriend Lisa, a runaway wife, run down an armed guard and enter the restricted area. Back at the command post, Major Hill is concerned about the Xanti prisoners making a jailbreak. I wonder if we'll get to see one of them. Perhaps more than one. If they're anything at all like Earthmen, they aren't going to like being cooped up in a prison ship any more than we like being locked up behind bars. I believe they'll try to break free. The Xanti commander guaranteed maximum control of the prisoners. They'll be guarded. Every prison guarantees maximum control of its prisoners. Yet men break out. Excuse me, General. Yes. They spotted something on the radar. It's inside the periphery. They think it's an automobile. Ben and Lisa's car break down in the desert near the Xanti ship. I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to believe it. But I'm going to go ahead and tell it anyway. I would never kill a reasonable man. <laughs> Open the windows, Ben. Smell bad when you lie. Wait a second, sweetheart. The guard was not a reasonable man. He insisted that we turn back. Maybe it was his job to do so. Lisa, we can never turn back. Not you and me. A runaway wife and a three-time loser must always go forward. You know, my husband said to me, he said, why do you want to go away with him? He's a psychopath and he's not beautiful. And I told him, I told him I wanted to go away with you because, because you weren't sane and safe and secure. I told him I was sick to the teeth with, with sanity and, and safety and, and security. I like bad adventure, Ben. Always have. I need it. I know it'll destroy me someday. I need it. Do anything about the car, Ben? 
Uh, the car wants water, and we're in the desert. Lisa, there's no place to go out there. I'm going home. Maybe facing up to what I've done will be the, the baddest adventure of my life. Lisa, you know that you can never go home, Lisa. Your husband would make you tell this whole story to the police, and then the police would lock me up forever. Ben notices something strange on the top of some rocks and goes to check it out. Of course, it's the Zanti penal ship. He gets too close to the spaceship, and one of the Zanti guards comes out of the spaceship, attacks, and kills Ben. Lisa finds Ben's dead body with the Zanti guard on his neck. She takes off running, and the Zanti guard chases her. Back at the command post, General Hart explains the situation to Washington, and they have ordered him to destroy the Zanti ship in 15 minutes. No, sir, I cannot advise you to recommend or consider going into that area, sir. Whoever got in there has already blown their faith in the sky high. If we go in after it, they could construe it as an offensive measure. It will only serve to deepen their suspicions and further weaken our relationship. Now, I realize that, sir, but we don't even know if the man's still alive. They may have destroyed him instantly, in which case we'd be accomplishing nothing and touching off heaven knows what. But, sir, I simply do not want to start anything with the Xantes. Yes, sir. We're keeping the channel open, sir. If they decide to reestablish communication, we're ready. Fifteen minutes. Yes, sir. If they do not communicate within the quarter hour, sir. God help us. Fifteen minutes is not a long time. In our conception of time. For them, it could be long enough to conquer a world. When a country allows itself to be coerced, it has to suffer the consequences. So far, the only real consequence is uncertainty. I've always felt that was one of the worst things a country could suffer. Professor Grave convinces General Hart to let him go to the Zanti landing site as an emissary. If they retaliate, it means death and suffering, broken bodies and broken hearts. I can't let everybody break. Can I make a suggestion? As if you can. An emissary. Tell them you're sending in one man, alone and unarmed, fully informed and prepared to discuss the situation with them personally. Tell them your emissary will arrive in an open vehicle, will advance when and only if instructed to do so. They may decide to keep silent even after hearing that, but they'll know what your intentions are. Well, we know theirs. If they keep silent, will we know whether or not they'll let my emissary approach? 
go. You'll have to take a risk there. I'll have to take the risk. What about the man I sent? You and I. You make the decision, I go. You? I've studied history for years, Max. Even before anyone said I had to. Big moments, small moments, some so insignificant they barely got recorded. But it isn't like being there. It isn't. And I'm always conscious of it. Always aware that the clean edge of participation is missing. I'd give anything to be there just once. Alive and awake. I suppose you'd like to have been at Hiroshima. If I could have helped, I'll tell the patrols to let you through. General Hart informs the Zanti that he is sending an emissary to talk to them. He will be unarmed and will await your permission to advance. He will wait one hour. If he does not receive your permission, he will return to our base. Permit this man to approach. It is vital to our own security that we know your precise mood and intentions. Just as it is vital to you that you know ours. I send this man with reluctance and trepidation, but I also send him with hope. Dr. Grave goes to the landing area and tries to talk to the Zanti. I cannot see your ship. I will not try to. I will await your signal to advance. I am in radio contact with General Hart. If you tell him I may advance, he will inform me. I will wait for one hour and then go. I will wait for one hour and then go. With the Zanti guard chasing Lisa, the Zanti prisoners are planning to take control of the penal ship. The regent has gone after her. Our opportunity is now. Let us take freedom. Professor Grave finds out from General Hart that the Zanti prisoners are planning a jailbreak and that there is a woman out there. Professor Grave finds Lisa and kills the Zanti guard that was chasing her. The Zanti prisoners take control of the ship and blast off. Grave here, over. Have you seen the car? Nothing. We think there's a woman out there. A woman? Shall I look around? No. No? You'd better come back, Steve. Come back? The prisoners are going to make a break. We're going to have to destruct the ship. Clear the area. Did you hear me, Steve? Yes, I heard you. Get out of there. A woman. The Zanti prisoners, now free, head directly for the command post. Major Hill is frantic and orders General Hart to destroy the ship. General Hart. Steve? The Zanti ship has just taken off. Yes, we know. I had to kill one of them. You killed one? It was about to attack. Did they tell you where the ship is going? No, no communication. We're coming back. 
Make it fast, Steve. We may have to destruct that ship, war or no war. Roger. Shall I get the chief on the red line? Do you know where that ship is going, Major? All I know is they may be getting out of missile range. Well, maybe they're going back to their own planet. Back to their own planet? Why would they want to do that? They can be free here. Destruct that ship, General. Advise the chief to destruct that ship. General, it's coming in our direction and it's coming close. The Zanti ship lands on top of the command post. The Zanti prisoners swarm out of the ship and into the building. The battle begins. The officers and airmen armed with pistols and rifles destroy all of the Zanti prisoners. Well, we've done it. We've let loose the dogs of war. I wonder how they'll destroy us. This is the commander of the government of the planet Zanti. I speak to you from Zanti. You have destroyed the misfits. We will not retaliate. We never intended to. We knew that you could not live with such aliens in your midst. It was always our intention that you destroy them and their gods who were of the same spoiled persuasion. We chose your planet for that purpose. We are incapable of executing our own species, but you are not. You are practiced executioners. We thank you. Practice executions. Throughout history, various societies have tried various methods of exterminating those members who have proven their inability or unwillingness to live sanely amongst their fellow men. The Xantes tried merely one more method, neither better nor worse than all the others. Neither more human nor less human than all the others. Perhaps merely non-human. We now return control of your television set to you until next week at this same time when the control voice will take you to the Outer Limits. I've got some Star Trek trivia from this episode. This episode was filmed at Vasquez Rocks, which would later serve as Cestus III, where Captain Kirk and the Gorn Captain would fight in the episode Arena. Vic Perrin was the voice of the control voice. He was also the voice of the Metrons in the episode Arena and the voice of Nomad in the episode The Changeling. He also played the head of the Halcon Council in the episode Mirror Mirror. That's all I have for trivia. Let's talk about the episode. This is a great episode. It's one of my favorite episodes of The Outer Limits, along with The Demon with the Glass Hand, The Six Finger, um, Architects of Fear. There's a bunch of them. It's got great writing, great acting. This is classic science fiction. This episode gave me nightmares for weeks when I was a kid. There's nothing creepier than big ants with faces and beards. One of the Xanti prisoners did have some pretty cool sideburns, though. 
Um, the spaceship reminded me a lot of a coffee percolator that my mom used to use when I was a kid. Um, this is the outer limits at the best. It doesn't get any better than this. Um, I would recommend this series and this episode in particular to all science fiction fans. If you haven't seen it, check it out. It's on Netflix and Hulu. You will not be disappointed. On a scale from 1 to 10, I'll give this episode a 9 out of 10. And that's it for this week's podcast. Before I wrap up this week's podcast, I'd like to thank Rico again for giving me another opportunity to share with all of you some more classic science fiction. I'd also like to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. I hope you enjoyed it. Everyone take care. This is M5 signing off. Trucks in Silent.